Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. The Westwood One Podcast Network presents The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. Home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. There are quite a few of you who love me, who've been listening to me for years and want to hear me keep going on, but you know, I'm reaching a dead end here. And let me tell you why I'm reaching a dead end. I cannot take it anymore. I just cannot take the political world another day. I know that's all you want to hear. Don't get me wrong. I know that you say you don't want to hear any more about Trump. You don't want to hear about his tweets. You don't want to hear about his hairdos. You don't want to hear about who he insulted today. You do want to hear who he insulted today. You do want to hear about his hairdo. I don't care anymore. I can't take it. Is that you telling me there was no life before Donald Trump arrived on the political scene? There was no universe? Maybe for those who were sports jocks who went to the ninth grade. Maybe for those who never went to the ninth grade. Maybe for those who were buried in the Justice Department, screwing as many people as they could as a lawyer. There was no other world but politics. But I must admit that for me, there always was another world than politics. And for many years on radio, I was able to invest myself in these other interests. And you came along. It was a great show. The show was in the top three. Everyone loved me, and I was very happy with the show. But something's happened in America. I know what happened, but I dare not say it because then you'll be alienated. You'll say I'm attacking Donald Trump or I'm attacking you, which I'm not doing. But I will tell you this, that there is a huge world out there. When you hike on a hill or you go to an emergency room and you treat someone, there's another world out. Don't you understand there's a history in America before Donald Trump arrived In the White House? Do you know that there was a whole world out there? How can one man absorb all of everyone's intelligence every waking minute? Now, if that's what you want to hear, you could change the dial and you can listen to Wallbanger. Wallbanger has made a fortune upon fortune. Or you could listen to the beached whale, who for a year straight put Trump down. He insulted you. He called you Trumpers, Trumpeteers, Trumpettes. He mocked you. He ridiculed you because he thought Trump would lose. The minute Trump won, his tongue became black from all the shoe polish he had to put on it. But okay, he made a business decision. He knows that anyone who attacks Trump on the radio loses their show and loses their audience. I understand it. There have been people who were in the middle who lost. They're gone. I'm not in the middle. I'll vote for the man. Can we now move on to something else in the world other than Donald Trump and his every breath? He did this. He did that. He changed his hairdo. Did he look this way? Did he look that way? How much can you take about one man? Do you understand this is now bordering on on national insanity? Now, I do understand he's under siege. Don't think I don't. I do understand that the vermin uh, in the media uh, on the other side are worse than him. I get that. But now we, the people, are supposed to sit here like dummies and say the media is evil. They're Marxist. They're socialists. So therefore, we have to only talk about Donald Trump, what he breathed, what he ate, what he said, what he didn't say, who he insulted. I don't want to do it anymore, and I don't think I will. So let me begin by doing it just for a second. And that is, well, it's the other side now. 
The Democrats, as you know, have no ideas. They rarely have had any ideas other than to attack Republicans. They've now sunk to a level incomprehensible. If this were going on inside a high school before a GO assembly, you would say it's just high school students. Well, the Democrats had a convention over the weekend in California where one after the other were telling us why they had to be elected. Now, you know and I know they have no ideas. You cannot run on a negative. The reason Trump won in 2016, coming out of nowhere, is because he built his entire campaign on the motto of borders, language, and culture without using the words borders, language, and culture. That's what he ran on. That is the fact. He ran on a nationalist campaign of borders, language, and culture, largely articulated by yours truly. Okay, now what is he going to run on this time? Probably the same thing. What are they running on? Hey, Trump, they can't win. Americans do not vote for a negative. They will only vote for an idea. There is no idea here. So now let's listen to Democrats again with their negativity in clip two. This isn't about politics, Democrats versus Republicans. No, it's about patriotism. Oh, and it's please. about the future you. of our nation. The you wouldn't know a patriot if you tripped over one. The worst president in the history of this country. The seltzer man. Where are we, in Mexico now? This is in California. A president who is a racist. Beating Donald Trump is a must, but that that? is a floor, not a ceiling. A sexist. If we want to beat Donald Trump, socialism is not the answer. A homophobe. It is a fight for For truth truth itself. And a religious bigot. We are bigger than that. We have greater ambitions than that. You know, if we're not careful, we're going to end up helping to reelect the worst president in American history. You know, hold it. This starts to sound like an Orson Welles movie about a mad country, a country that's gone insane. That's why I loved it so much. I got to hand it to Clint Granberry, who put it together. Let's have a round of applause for Clint, who did this montage. The, the echo. And the way you inserted it into the montage, Clint, would do justice to an Orson Welles movie about the end of a, the end of a nation, or shall I say, the end of a party. This is what you're listening to: are the death throes of the Democrat Party. There, I said it the way I wanted to. Is there any more to it? Let's hear more of the death throes as the party dies. No, that was it. That echo, I just love that echo. So you know, I can do politics, and when it comes to this level of theater. And the theater of the absurd, as the Democrats have become, it's great. Then on the other hand, we want to worship President Trump, don't we, day and night? Don't we all want to worship President Trump? Isn't he the great leader? Isn't he like the Kim Jong-il? Aren't we supposed to worship him? What if we don't worship him? Does that mean we're disloyal? What if we don't get on our hands and knees and say, yes, great leader, you are the most benign great leader. You are the most handsome great leader. You're the most articulate great leader. You're the most beautiful great leader. You have the most beautiful wife, the shiniest shoes, the most beautiful plane, the most beautiful children. Yes, great leader, you are wonderful. What if we don't do that? What happens to us? Well, we get cast into the antechamber of American history, I suppose. But on the other hand, I was reading history over the weekend, as I do to go back to times when there was articulateness and leadership of one kind or another. And I fell upon 
a story about Napoleon. Fascinating character. Most of us know nothing about him because in America, all we know about is Kim Kardashian's behind. I would say 99% of people under 25 know only the size of Kim Kardashian's behind, uh, not uh, who Napoleon was. But I was reading that his impact on European history is felt to this day. And it's, it's felt in a way that you may not even understand. It goes all the way up to the EU and what the fight is about with Brexit right now. You see, I was reading about Napoleon in a magazine called History of War. You may say, oh, that's so facile. You're so unintellectual. You're reading a magazine. Well, yeah, I read the magazines written by intelligent historians. And this one is interesting on the history of war. And I was reading about Napoleon's influence on European history. And here's what they wrote. He took all the practical aspects of the French Revolution and reinforced the idea that the state is the most important thing. This is Napoleon now. It replaced the king and the individual, we are told, existed as a servant of the state. The whole system through which the state operated from the top down became state controlled. The idea that the system is regulated and everybody has to be qualified is also something that he imposed on large parts of Europe. Many countries then copied it, and it certainly lies as the absolute foundation of the European Union. Listen to the rest of this paragraph. The whole ethos of the EU is very much built on the Napoleonic legacy, including his civil code, and it may be one of the reasons that Britain voted to leave to make it more pertinent to today. It is so entirely alien to the English way of doing things, which is essentially from the bottom up and against regulations. By contrast, most of Europe has gone along with that, even if they continually subvert it. It is ultimately, in theory, all about the state, which comes from the French Revolution. Nevertheless, Napoleon enshrined it and put it into the basis of most mod modern European states. Now, what does that say to you, the listeners of the Savage Nation? It says a lot of things. The communist nations that are on the earth today, notably China, was built upon the lies of Karl Marx. You think it's from China. It wasn't. It was from a Bernie Sanders type of middle class lying bum named Karl Marx, who completely perverted the Soviet Union, destroyed it, led to the death of 100 million people in the last century and has now created the great superstate of China, which is, of course, based upon Karl Marx's original ideas. And Marx based his ideas on the French Revolution. That's what I'm trying to get at here. So what does the French Revolution have to do with Donald Trump's new hairdo? Savage. Hey, do you wish that that ugly double chin would just disappear? Newsflash, ladies and gentlemen, people, see it. Your jawline, it tells your age, I'm sorry. Here's Robin from Lubbock, Texas. She said, I put GenuCell jawline cream on my neck two or three days ago. This is the best my neck has looked in 20 years. People tell me my face looks young. I'm blown away, she says. With Chamonix MDL technology, GenuCell's brand new jawline treatment specifically targets the delicate skin on the neck area for tight, healthy, younger-looking skin. You'll see your mirror smile back at you or 100% of your money back, no questions asked. Call now and the classic GenuCell for bags and puffiness is free with your order. Text SAVAGE to 77453. Text SAVAGE for those free gifts. Text SAVAGE to 77453. And to start seeing results in 12 hours or less, 
GenuCell Immediate Effects is also yours for free. No double chin, no turkey neck, and no sagging jawline, because no one needs to know your age. Go to GenuCell.com. That's GenuCell.com, or text SAVAGE to 77453. Get your two free gifts and free shipping now. Text SAVAGE to 77453, or visit GenuCell.com. Text SAVAGE to 77453 or GenuCell.com. I gave him a little history that's too esoteric. It wasn't about Donald Trump, therefore I'm an enemy. Now, what does the French Revolution, Napoleon, and the EU of today have to do with Trump's new hairdo? Well, something and nothing. First of all, I said that as a throwaway line to hook you into listening when I came back from that lengthy commercial break because that's what you have to learn how to do to survive as long as I have. But, so you're listening. So again, I'll answer the question. His new hairdo, which was just in time for a visit to the, to the queen and the curtsying and all of that, right away stepped on his own foot the minute he got there by attacking this, this insignificant L- London mayor. Now, why would a president, why would a president go out of his way the minute he arrives in a foreign country on such an important and symbolic trip, start attacking the, the, the mayor of uh, London. Why? How does that benefit him? How does that benefit America? How does that benefit the relationship between America and England? How does that add dignity to his office? Well, I've asked the questions which answer the questions. And that answers the whole question that I've been trying to get at. If you worship a man, no matter who that man is, It is the end of democracy. I said the same thing when Obama had people fainting in the audiences. Do you remember? Do you remember the cult following of Barack Obama? Now, there have been books written about the imperial presidency over the last 30 years. And it started with um, a conglomeration of power in the executive branch. Who knows when it began? Maybe what? With Eisenhower, more with Kennedy and his star quality. People started to worship Kennedy. Already the people who were sensitive to where this could go were saying, wait a minute, now there's too much worship. We're moving in the wrong direction. We have a divided government that's supposed to be a separation of powers. It's not supposed to all reside in the Oval Office. Watch out where we're going. Well, now move the clock forward. You move it to Obama and you saw the worshipers and we saw how deadly that was. You have a man who is worshipped. He can manipulate the public sometimes for very, very uh, nefarious way, in, in nefarious ways. Okay, so the minute he gets to London, arrives in England, instead of pro- projecting the strength and dignity of the United States, he takes the bait from an insignificant Muslim mayor of London who is like, uh, I, I just like nothing, a Muslim mayor of London who's a nasty piece of work. He takes the bait and attacks him. Sorry, mistake. Not good. Not good for America. Not good for the reality of the time. So, I mean, I got that out of my system and I feel much better because I cannot sit here and just be a worshiper. I can't do it. I never could do it. Will I vote for him? Yes. I, do I pass the loyalty test? Yes. I vote for him. Yes. Yes, I vote for him. I swear I will vote for him. I promise I will vote for him. I will support him all the time. I will vote for him. I promise you. Is that okay now? Can we move on to something else? Can I talk about dead man's pants? 
or Fat Al's Tuna. I'd rather talk about Fat Al's Tuna than uh, Donald Trump's visit to England. What is this visit to England anyway? What is it? Just a fancy dinner. What's going to be achieved with those those parasites over there? What do you think? I worship the royal family? They can all go to hell as far as I'm concerned. There, I got that out of my system. I hate the royal family. I hate royalty of any kind. They're an anachronism in this day and age. They're living on stolen land, in stolen castles, with stolen silverware, on stolen money, and none of them have ever worked a day in their life. Now, you see, I have a bit of the revolutionary left in me. My father was an immigrant who hated royalty. He ran from royalty, hated it. He hated the Tsar of Russia. He hated communism. But he also used to mock Prince Charles. Prince Charles, of course, is a kind of like something's wrong with that guy. Even as a kid, Prince Charles was a putz. He always did something wrong. He looked like an idiot. He looked like an ass. But you could love him anyway. He's like the son you have who can't achieve anything, but you got to love him anyway. It's like you have a son and he plays Little League and he gets hit in the face with the ball. And he cries and he drops or he hits the bat, hits himself in the foot with the bat. You still love the son. You don't hate him. Prince Charles is that kind of doofus. So there he is again with the suit, the perfect suit, the perfect tie, the perfect Windsor knot, the perfect shoes. What has he done in England? Nothing. Savage. So I was rifling through some old notes the other day, and this fell out of a book. April 15th, 2018, it says, we get a short dance in the sun, and then we're just a lithograph. We get a short dance in the sun, and then we're just a lithograph. So, I mean, like, I have a picture of my great-grandfather and my great-grandmother that I got just last year from a relative who did some research in genealogy. I never met the folks. They were dead long before I was born. And... I look at his, his eyes every day when I'm on the radio. Sometimes he frowns at me. Sometimes he, he laughs with me. No, it's crazy how you can project into a, into a photograph. And I use it as a lodestone. It's like, how did I do, Grandpa? And he looks at me, this is how you're wasting your time now? This is what you're talking about, a man with a hairdo? I hear him talking to me no matter what I do. So when I wrote, we get a short dance in the sun and then we're just a lithograph, I think, wow, I'm going to be a lithograph one day to my descendants they won't even know who I am. The difference is I have this tapes of my shows, 25 years of tapes. Now, what kid's going to listen to some great-grandfather's tapes? Never. You think some kid in the future is going to want to listen to the audio tapes of anyone in radio today? I kind of doubt it. So I wrote a book because I think that the written word is more is fundamentally more lasting than the spoken word. I grew up with the book and the written word. And a couple of years ago, I wrote a book called Train Tracks. It's now being reissued for Father's Day in a bigger edition, better edition, new cover. Includes exclusive, never-before-published material entitled A Savage Life. And in it, in it, it's how I got into radio, Boy in the Basement, Hegira from New York, Setting a Peanut Man on Fire, Pennies for Beethoven, The Speculator in the Garden of Numbers, My Silent Brother, The Electric Blue Saddle-Stitched Pants, how about Big Al's Tuna, the tough high school geometry teacher who had two fingers on his right hand, the others blown off when he set off an IRA bomb. It includes stories about Woodchuck Bill, Happy and Sad Cufflinks, Fat Pat, Tippy the Dog, uh, Savage's Childhood Diet, Prescription for a Heart Attack, Dead Man's Pants, Sam the Butcher, and other stories that I know you're going to love forever. And these stories in many ways are my legacy. 
And they are going to be out in a large form paperback for Father's Day. It will be a good gift for your dad, for your husband, your boyfriend, your significant other. And um, I did it. I reprinted. I had them reprint it with some changes in a whole new edition because it could be my last published book. I know I've said that before, but at the rate I am going and where my interests are going, I'm not that interested in politics. Maybe I'll do one more worship of Trump book. I'm not sure. It is possible I will do one more worship of Trump book just to catch the wind of the election coming in 2020 and to get him over the finish line. I may have to do it for him. He may not know it, but he ought to know it. And I don't care who's around him. Without you, without the Eddies and the Ediths, and you may vote for him without me, but you may vote for him more surely with me. I may just do that last book. But right now, I want to focus only on A Savage Life, which you could wait until it's out in the bookstores. Don't buy it on Amazon. And I want to tell you right now, it's not meant to be a bestseller. It's not going to be printed in large enough numbers to be a bestseller. It's not going to change my lifestyle one way or the other. I told the publisher I want a small printing only for my loyalists. So there it is, A Savage Life. And beginning today, well, let's make it tomorrow. Beginning tomorrow, anyone who calls this show and gets on the air will get a free copy of A Savage Life. But let's begin that tomorrow, not today. It's too late already in the day to start that one, okay? So let's go back to what I just tweeted during the break. Sometimes I develop my ideas as I am talking, unlike the others who read scripts and stay on script the whole show, as they have notes passed to them by people who can actually hear the show and stuff like that. Uh, I actually think out loud. I walk on the tightrope. I think out loud. And I developed a tweet for the show, Should Americans Worship the British Royal Family? I think that's actually a very significant question, given that the president and the first lady and the son-in-law and the daughter are over there visiting the royal family. What are they there for? I don't even know why they're there. Why are they there? Okay, it's the most important relation. Is it? I've been hearing for years that it's the most important of all relationships. Why is it the most important relationship? It isn't the most important relationship. Now, what do the British produce that we actually buy? They make some nice cars, certainly not the best in the world, but they're nice. I'd say the Germans make the best cars in the world. Well, okay, the Rolls-Royce, the Bentley are really nice, but they're made with German engines. <laughs> as far as I know, the, the Bentley has a Volkswagen engine, incidentally. I don't know if you know that. It's pretty interesting. That as the world changes with interchangeable parts and cars, uh, I mean, what is British? What is German? What is American anymore, right? But I don't want to get into that esoteric area. Uh, What do the British make that we actually need? The beer is just terrible, the worst in the world. I don't know. I haven't been there in a long time because I'm banned in England. I think American light beers are better better than their beers, for for sure. Those dark, horrendous beers, you can't even drink them. Uh, Wine? Uh, I don't know of any English wines that anyone really wants to drink. The English I knew, or I know when I was there, they all drink French wines and Italian wines. What do they make? Clothing? I don't think so. Uh, What do they make? What do the Brits make that we use that we actually need? I guess they have like telecommunication parts or something to that effect. Jim, Clint, can you think of anything that Brits make? Do you have anything British in your house? I'll admit that I have a, a, a British flag next to my Jags in my garage, but it was made in China. But I really have nothing British that I can think of. I, I don't, well, no, I, have, I have a couple of English cars. But as I say, the parts are made in, in, uh, in, in Germany, with the pieces probably coming from China. 
George in Tucson, Arizona, line one. What would you like to talk about today on the show? Well, I'm just uh, here in Tucson. I'm just agreeing that no more Trump, please. I need your insights on life, your experiences, and your knowledge. But you see, we're liable to be accused by um, by fill-in hosts who have gotten very lucky and make believe that they're uh, intellectual geniuses. We're liable to be accused of disloyalty if we do not worship Trump sufficiently during the show. Yeah, yeah, but we still, you know, we want to fo- focus on your real life experiences. That's where we connect. No, no, no. You don't want to hear about my experiences. We must all worship. We must all worship what the king has done today. If the king changes his hair, that is the topic of the week. Yeah, you can. You can. Turn- if the king tweets against the mayor, that is the topic of the day. If the king has indigestion, we must all talk about the indigestion. Uh, if if the king, I, I I think it's very important that we understand how America has become sort of a nation of uh, uh, it's it's a combination of celebrity worship and worship of royals. I don't understand it. I don't understand it either. W- would, do you worship the royal family? I'm sorry. Do you worship the royal family? No, not at all. I don't. You wor- don't. You don't have a little dollhouse of Buckingham Palace with a teeny doll, like a, a queen. And a prince and Meghan Markle, little dolls of them in your house that you get every day you, 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 over a cup of tea and crumpets. You don't do that? No, I don't even have an English bulldog. <laughs> well, you know, you're one of many small number of people of, the, of listening to this show who want to hear something other than Trump worship. So what would you like me to talk about? Well, you know, I love it when you talk about your, your medical knowledge and your your times in the islands, and I love it when you talk about Teddy. I loved your old stories about when you get in trouble, when you were a kid and you got in trouble. I think you got a new jacket and it caught on fire or something. Oh, tell you what, you're the first winner of A Savage Life. Jim, he's the first winner. Would you write down his name and address, his email address, and we'll have the great publisher send them one. I actually didn't get the first copy. They're out now somewhere in the publisher. William Morrow's publishing it. And uh, the picture of me is very much a portrait of Dorian Gray. I mean, it's true I selected it. It's very introspective. But if you compare it to the staged photos of the, the Michael Savage with the arms crossed and the hats, it's just not the same look because I'm a real person. And what I decided to do, unlike other hosts who pose with their arms crossed with leather jackets, like to the toughest guys on the planet, when you both know they are scared to death and they would probably drop dead if a, if a backfire went off behind them, they would probably fall to the street. Half of them are enfeebled. They're on oxygen tanks. They're very sick people. It's very sad. Why do they have to pose like tough guys? Why don't they just show us what they look like in reality? I don't quite understand. By the way, speaking of tough guys, did anyone see the fight the other night? The upset where we have the first Mexican-American heavyweight champion in history. Did anyone see the fight? Raise your hand if you're a sports fan of uh, the martial arts and the fights. There's a guy, you got to hear about this for a reason. The world heavyweight champion is English, tall African man, six foot six, solid muscle, undefeated, undefeated, an Adonis, six foot six, an Adonis, not an ounce of fat on his body. The favorite, 25 to one. The guy was supposed to fight him called in sick or whatever, a broker this or that. So they call in this guy who looked like he was fat and out of shape, a Mexican heavyweight, 20 pounds lighter, four inches shorter. You got to believe what happened. You're not going to believe what happened. You got to see a a few clips of this. I have it on michaelsavage.com. I have the succinct knockout footage of a minute and 20 
when the Mexican who was out of shape, you look at it, the Mexican looks out of shape. He's got a fat stomach, okay? Something I learned in grade school, never push a fat kid around because underneath that fat, there could be solid muscle. That's something I learned a long time ago. And then later on in life, I started to study Asian art and many of the statues of the great warriors of Chinese historical uh, warriors are stocky men with large stomachs, chests. You know the standard picture of the swordsman? They're not skinny guys. They didn't look like Bruce Lee. They were, they were kind of large men. They were big men. They were rotund men. And uh, very solid like this Mexican boxer. It's a very interesting story, which I know you're not interested in because the word Trump didn't appear in it. Savage. We must all worship the royals and we must worship the president who has become like a royal. As you well know, this began long before him. And it is a very dangerous trend indeed to worship a leader on either side of the aisle. Now, over the weekend, I tweeted, U.S. loses control of border, illegals overwhelm system while Congress fiddles. You wouldn't know that by the royal pomp and circumstance, would you? No, we're not even allowed to talk about it because it's not part of the talking points that came down from the White House to the so-called conservative uh, rebels in the media. Here's another tweet. Mexico's socialist president says migrants have the right to move to the United States. Okay. Then here's another tweet. June 1st. Muslim American society behind disturbing racist chop off their heads video spreads hate throughout the United States. U.S. media dead silent. Here was my next tweet. This was on uh, Sunday. Orthodox Jew attacked by teen in Brooklyn, part of a wider epidemic of hate. Notice I can only say the word teen. You're not allowed to say anything more. That's a new word now. Orthodox Jew attacked by teen in Brooklyn, part of wider epidemic of hate. Then there was another one which most of you who are in the military will respect. Bill Dean, special ops, who played a key role in defeating ISIS, dies in a climbing accident on Mount Rainier. I don't know about you, uh, but I'm always suspicious of a special operator dying in a climbing accident on a United States mountain. Something in that story bothers me deeply. And if I were given to writing fiction, I wouldn't say it was an accident. But then again, I've only published three novels that you know of. So who am I to say anything about that? Bill Dean, special operator who played key role in defeating ISIS, dies in a climbing accident on Mount Rainier. Uh, why did a Reagan speechwriter... Nancy Nugan or whatever, Nancy Nugan attacked Trump. Oh, Noonan. Has anyone defined a nation as defined by its borders, language, and culture better than I? No. Savage. And now, a look at audio that we did not have time to get to today during the radio show. From the Democrats' California convention, here's John Hickenlooper getting booed after saying socialism is not the answer. Socialism is not the answer. I was reelected. I was reelected in a purple state in 2014, one of the worst years for Democrats in a quarter century. I was. 
You know, if we're not careful, we're going to end up helping to reelect the worst president in American history. Now here he is telling us all about the socialist policies that will actually destroy America. We shouldn't try to achieve universal coverage by removing private insurance from over 150 million Americans. We should not try to tackle climate change by guaranteeing every American a government job. Hold on, hold on. As the Democratic Party, we have to create a vision for this country. I want to give Americans a reason to look forward to tomorrow. Here's John Delaney at the same convention getting booed for saying Medicare for all is not good policy. Medicare for all may sound good, but it's actually not good policy, nor is it good politics. I'm telling you. A hundred... We... We should have universal health care. We should have universal health care, but it shouldn't be a kind of health care that kicks 150 million Americans off their health care. That's not smart policy. Here's Shifty Schiff saying impeachment is, quote, destined for failure. And he calls the GOP the cult of the president's personality. In terms of uh, the impeachment process, it's not mandated by the Constitution. We can avail ourselves of this uh, when the president uh, demonstrates acts that are high crimes or misdemeanors. Uh, It is certainly true. I think that much of his conduct qualifies for that. But at the same time, uh, we have to recognize that the reality that one party, the Republican Party, has turned itself into a cult of the president's personality and is not likely to act uh, consistent with its constitutional obligations. Uh, And we have to figure out in that context, is this the right thing for the country? And I'm just not convinced, not yet, that that's the case. Iran's foreign minister, Zarif, says, quote, I like to keep President Trump guessing, never threaten an Iranian. Well, I like to keep President Trump guessing because he likes everybody in the world to keep on guessing about what is happening in the United States. You hear one day something coming from the White House, the next day something else coming from the State Department. Since they want us to continue guessing, let them continue guessing too. Threats against Iran never work. Never threaten an Iranian. Try respect. That may work. Zarif also says we will, quote, use whatever missiles we want to stop U.S. aggression. You see, we call this place the Persian Gulf for a reason. So it's next to us. We have a right to defend ourselves. Just imagine if Iran were to come to California coast or were to come to Florida coast. How do you feel? How would you treat that? These ships are located very close to our waters. We have the right to put whatever missiles we want to put on them. Bernard Sanders says that Trump is both a racist and a bigot and a homophobe and other things. The worst president in the history of this country, a president who is a racist, a sexist, a homophobe, and a religious bigot. And finally, from El Paso, congressman and failed senatorial candidate and now presidential last placeian, Robert Francis Beto O'Rourke, Shows you he knows Spanish a lot. Muy buenos días. Gracias, 
ustedes es un honor estar aquí. Tenemos los retos más grandes en la historia de este país. Necesitamos enfrentar el cambio climático, arreglar una economía para que trabaje para todos y para que todos puedan participar en el éxito de este país. Y necesitamos asegurarnos The Westwood One Podcast Network.